This is Condopedia. Here we talk about everything related to condo law in Ontario, with hopefully some humor mixed in. Just a quick reminder: today's session is not one where we take our questions. Today we're just trying to deliver information in the most succinct, available manner possible. We're going to have a really hot topic today. One we get a lot of questions about, and in fact, it must be really hot topic because we have uh, hundreds of attendees uh, signed on for today's session. So we're really excited about it. Today's topic is all about volunteerism, uh, liability, insurance that comes with workers on the property. Volunteerism obviously is a fantastic thing. Condos would not exist without it. However, there are some pitfalls if you don't make sure that you're taking good care to ensure that you understand what volunteerism is all about and what potential risks and liability may stem from it. A little later on in our session, we'll also talk about contractors working without insurance and superintendents, what what they should or should not be doing outside of the guise of their contract. So let's jump right in. We have a, uh, we're already two minutes in. We don't want to take everybody else's time here today. So we're going to move over to Melinda. Uh, Melinda's going to start us right off on the topic of volunteerism and what we need to be thinking about. Melinda, I turn it over to you. Great. Thanks so much, Nancy. So I will start with a bit of a spoiler because I feel like most of my presentations lately, including some if you've been attending our condo crunches regularly, my presentations seem to start out with like a topic, here's our topic, and here's why it's not a great idea. So I'm aware of that. That's sort of where this is going in my presentation, but I've also tried to come up with some solutions for you so not to worry that I'm going to get us to a a good place in the end on this topic. So owners doing volunteer work on the property for free. This is where I'm going with sounds like a great idea. So you may have owners that are retired. For example, they might have a background in gardening and they want to volunteer to do the gardening on the property for free. You're practically helping them with their hobby and helping them occupy their time. On the condo side of things, it seems like a great opportunity because you're going to get some work done for free and it might mean one less expense, particularly at a time right now when owners are facing a lot of mounting expenses. And so if everything goes right, I agree that in a perfect world, this type of situation would be a a good arrangement. But the problem is always if and when something goes wrong involving volunteers, it can go really badly and it can go really badly really quickly. And so for that reason, you're going to get the sense in my presentation that I'm typically a bit more leery of using volunteers given the risks, which I'll talk about in a, in a second. But ultimately, I think it's comes down to a decision for the board and the property manager to make um, themselves given your comfort level with the circumstances and the risks involved. So here's why it can be, why I see it as something that can be risky when you're using volunteers. The problem is that volunteers are not generally going to be covered by WSIB, and they may or may not be covered by the condominium's insurance, depending on the type of activity that they're going to do. So the risks are if they, for example, hurt themselves while working on the property, there's no WSIB protection for them. Mitch is going to talk about WSIB in more detail, but generally volunteers are not entitled to receive or sign up for WSIB. The risk is also that if they cause harm to the condominium's property, 
or if they cause harm to a neighboring property, or if they cause harm or hurt someone else on the property, it's not clear whether the condo's insurance is going to respond in those types of situations. In order for the condo's insurance policy to be triggered, the incident, it would have to qualify as an insured event under the condominium's policy. And that's always a really complicated assessment. And really, it come, I'm not going to get into that assessment except to say it really comes down to whether the incident would be one of the incidents that's covered under Section 99 of the Condominium Act, where the list of insured perils is set out. And so it would be things like, is the incident related to a fire? Is the incident would it be considered vandalism or a malicious act? Those are major perils that are covered under the insurance in the condo's insurance policy. Or is it the resulting damage of one of those perils that's typically covered un, under insurance policy? So resulting damage is something like the volunteer was cutting through a wall and they happened to cut a, a common element pipe that caused a flood. The Cutting the pipe isn't going to be insured an insured event, but the resulting damage, the resulting flood is likely going to be or could be covered under the condo's insurance policy. So all that to say, assessing whether something's going to be an insured damage, an insured event under the condo's policy can be a bit tricky. It's complicated. And it really comes down to a question to put to your insurance broker, the condominium's insurance broker, to see if there would be coverage for volunteers and in what type of circumstances that coverage would exist. So my point, I can't give you a clear answer because there's a million different circumstances in which volunteers would be volunteering on the property and in, in which damage could occur. But my point is that the condo's insurance might respond in the event of damage or it might not. And either way, it's probably going to result in a fight with your insurer. We're seeing fights happening even where, in my view, condominiums have a legitimate claim. It's sometimes difficult to explain the circumstances to your insurer, and they, they may have difficulty coming through with the insurance coverage. We've all heard about the crisis in condominium insurance right now. And the other problem is that even if there is coverage, it may create problems with the condo being insurable when it comes time to renew because it's just sort of another claim against your policy. The other point on this topic of insurance is that so, you know, the condo's insurance may or may not respond if the volunteer has caused damage during their volunteer activities. The other problem is that the volunteer doesn't likely have their own liability insurance. I appreciate I'm stating the obvious there, but my point is just that um, the volunteer, if the condo's insurance doesn't respond, then you likely don't have an avenue to recover against the owner from as well. It may be difficult to recover against them, particularly if you have very high repair costs and that owner may or may not have sufficient funds to respond to those repair costs. And so the result there is that then the condo would end up having to pay for damages if there's no condo insurance and there's no owner insurance and the owner doesn't have any money, it falls back to the condo to have to repair whatever damage may have occurred. And that really translates into all other owners end up having to pay those repair costs because presumably you, you're not going to have extra funds in the reserve fund 
or the operating fund to cover these types of damages. And if you do, you may not have enough to cover the amount of the damage that has occurred. So in that context, this is sort of where I'm coming from, that the benefit of the free work that you're volunteer that you're going to get from your volunteer doesn't always wind up looking as attractive or as economical as it would if you aren't considering all of these risks. So just to summarize and take a step back for a minute, all of this, so what I'm saying is that when there's no WSIB coverage and there's a lack of the condos insurance coverage covering the volunteer and the volunteer doesn't have their own insurance coverage, it exposes the condominium to, to risks related to liability. And basically, boards just need to be aware of that risk of liability, the exposure to liability, when they're making a decision on whether to use volunteers or not. So the next question that often comes up when I'm talking with clients about using volunteers, okay, so we've talked about volunteers that are doing the work for free. Well, the next obvious question is, what if we pay the owner? So they're not a volunteer anymore. And I've had lots of clients come up with lots of different ways to, do we pay them cash or let's get creative and give them gift cards? Maybe then it doesn't look like we're paying them. Maybe then they're not an employee. The answer really is that regardless of how the compensation is made to that owner that's doing the work, the point is that they're still doing the work on behalf of the condominium. So it's still going to create the risk, the same risks of exposure to liability. The difference is that where the owner is paid, you can likely qualify them for WSIB coverage and, and the condo can decide if the condo wants to pay for that coverage or not. So that takes care of the risk of any harm to the worker that's doing the volunteer work. But we still have these risks that come up in terms of harm to the property, harm to others on the property or harm to other properties. And so the this is really, and I'll just sort of reiterate this point a second time, Determining whether the condo's insurance is going to cover the volunteer in the circumstances of whatever tasks they're doing, maybe it's gardening, um, maybe it's window washing, maybe it's replacing light bulbs, maybe it's snow removal or putting out ice and salt, that type of thing in the winter. Questions about whether the condo's insurance policy will protect the condo in those circumstances is really a question to put to your broker and they can help you really clarify whether there's going to be coverage and in what circumstances. So really the point I'm trying to make there is that there might or might not be insurance coverage, even if you're going to pay the worker to complete their work. And so the difficulty is that we're dealing with a, a gray area here, and that's what makes it tricky for boards to make decisions on these issues in terms of using a volunteer or not. And that's what makes it difficult for me um, in terms of providing legal advice, because I can't give you a clear-cut answer. And I'm a I'm a clear-cut black and white person, so I find these gray areas difficult, and I'd prefer to be able to give you a, an answer one way or the other, but we just don't have that type of clarity on this question of will the condo's insurance provide coverage. So we're in a gray area. I don't have a clear-cut answer for you. What do we do? There's three options, really. And again, this really is a decision for the board to make, depending on their comfort level with risk. 
Some boards, the first option is that some boards will be fine using volunteers. So as long as you're aware of the risk, if you're on the board, then it's perfectly fine for you as a board to make that decision to use volunteers in certain circumstances. I don't have the guts to do it, which I'm sure you're getting the point as part of this presentation. I don't have the guts to do that. That's why I'm not on the board of my own condo, <laughs> but other boards might have the guts to do that. Um, and maybe that's because all I ever see is kind of the worst case scenarios, but surely there are scenarios where volunteers do work out. Um, I think on this point, volunteer tasks tend to fall on a spectrum of risk. So I think that gardening, for example, if we're just talking about putting in a few flowers in, you know, some raised beds at the front of the property, that's pretty low risk. That falls on the lower end of the risk spectrum. Other tasks like full blow and snow removal using a snow removal machine might fall on a, the higher end of the spectrum in terms of risks. And I say that because there's truly no one more litigious than someone who's had a slip and fall on a condominium property because they think there's millions of dollars in the bank for them to recover against. And it, it just can become a difficult situation. So you can assess the risk, uh, you know, on the spectrum of of risk and, and how where the task might fall. And then if you are considering using volunteers to complete certain tasks, it's really a question that you should put to your broker before you go ahead with that, just to clarify what type of coverage your policy would offer and what you can do to ensure that the, the policy would cover the volunteers in the circumstance. The next best option, so the second option that I have for you is to create a committee for the task. So for example, you could create a gardening committee. And when you create a committee like that, you can appoint the committee members as officers to the condominium corporation. So they wouldn't have the same role as directors. Directors on the board have decision-making authority and different legal obligations. Officers don't have decision-making authority, but the benefit of appointing committee members as officers is that you can typically extend the condominium's insurance policy to cover those officers as they're conducting their duties and obligations. So the point of creating a committee for the task and appointing them as officers is really to try and come up with a way to extend insurance coverage to those officers that would be completing the work. It's not going to be a perfect solution, but arguably it's going to get you more insurance coverage, access to more, better access to coverage under the condominiums policy than if they weren't officers. And so you have a better chance of relying on the condominiums policy if disaster strikes. And then the third option, and really this is the best option, would be to hire a contractor for the task. And so when you're hiring a contractor as opposed to a volunteer, you can ensure that the contractor does have the WSIB coverage and that they have their own liability coverage as well. And really that's the best way to protect the condominium against these risks of liability that I've been talking about. It's also... Typically, these contractors will have a specialized skill in the area that you're hiring them to, to work, do the work for. So you know that hopefully they're going to do the work um, to, a, to a high standard. So I'm going to wrap up there. I know I've taken you on a bit of a roller coaster of concern in terms of risk of liability, but hopefully with those suggestions, I've given you um, a good sense of what the options are that are available to condominiums in these circumstances. So Nancy, I'll turn it back over to you. Fantastic, Melinda. And as everybody can see, 
It is uh, a tricky, tricky area. Just a quick reminder, we don't have time to take questions during our session here today. I'll talk at the end about how you can get questions for our next session. One thing, again, Melinda was focusing on, people love to help in their communities, and it's great to have volunteers, great to have committees, but think about the type of task we're talking about. You know, planning a party in the social room is very different than climbing on a ladder to clean the eaves troughs. Uh, so look at your type of committees, look at the type of volunteerism, talk to your insurance broker, and make sure you have volunteer coverage in place, make sure you have DNO coverage in place, make sure your officers are going to be covered, and strategically think about every single task your volunteers are doing. Melinda, that was fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much. All right. So let's jump right in to the next part of our topic, which Melinda had alluded to a little bit earlier, which is, okay, we're going to hire contractors. We're going to uh, make sure that we don't have owners climbing on ladders or undertaking snow, uh, snow plow removal. We're going to hire contractors. But what if your contractor comes and says, you know, I don't really have WSIB coverage. I don't really have insurance. Do we need to worry about that? We think we do. And so Mitch is going to take us through some of those issues. Over to you, Mitch. Thank you very much, Nancy. So as mentioned today, we'll be speaking about workplace safety and insurance board coverage. You probably commonly know this as WSIB insurance. So I'll be kind of speaking to what this, this whole regime means for your condo corporation. I'm going to speak first about the importance of obtaining WSIB clearance certificates before you hire contractors, the potential consequences for failing to obtain a clearance certificate, the potential that your condo might be liable even if you have obtained a clearance certificate, and why your condo might want to consider obtaining its own WSIB coverage to shield itself from liability. So to start, under the Workplace Safety and Insurance Act, it is mandatory for all workers who perform construction work to have WSIB coverage. So this includes independent operators or contractors, sole proprietors, and executive officers and partners in construction companies. Importantly, landscapers who perform construction work are also required to have WSIB coverage. This includes landscapers who perform work such as uh, fence and deck installation, swimming pool installation, curb and sidewalk construction, as well as things like finishing concrete slabs for patios, walkways, and driveways, installing landscaping lighting, and um, conducting irrigation and sprinkler work on your properties. So I sort of felt that it was important to mention landscapers because, you know, aside from the traditional construction contractors that condominiums frequently hire, condos also frequently hire landscapers to perform the types of activities that I just mentioned. So I mentioned that WSIB coverage is mandatory for these types of workers. What does this mandatory regime mean for your condo? So before hiring a contractor or subcontractor to perform construction work, your condo corporation will have to obtain a clearance certificate from the WSIB. So what this clearance certificate does is that it confirms that um, the contractor is registered with the WSIB and is also in good standing with the WSIB, basically meaning that they've paid all their WSIB premiums. To note, there is no fee to obtain the clearance certificate, and if your condo has a WSIB account, which many of yours might already, it can simply request this certificate online. The clearance certificate is valid for 90 days, and it's also renewable after the 90 days have expired. So as I mentioned, obtaining this uh, certificate is very important for your condo before you hire contractors because it relieves your condo of liability for workers' unpaid WSIB premiums. So once the WSIB issues your condo that clearance certificate, the WSIB waives its right to hold your condo corporation liable for any unpaid premiums the contractor might owe to the WSIB. So what about the contractor's response or the condo's rather responsibility for obtaining clearance certificates for subcontractors? Notably, condo corporations are only responsible for obtaining clearance certificates for contractors and subcontractors 
that they directly hire. So if your contractor that you hire then goes ahead and hires their own subcontractors that work under them, the contractor becomes the principal in relation to those subcontractors, and the corporation is not required to obtain a clearance certificate for those subcontractors. As I mentioned, your condo is only required to obtain clearance certificates for the sub subcontractors and contractors that they directly hire. I also note that to simplify this process related to clearance certificates, condo corporations can include a term in their work contracts requiring the contractor to obtain and supply a current WSIB certificate as a condition of the contract. I mentioned that the, the process to obtain a clearance certificate is, is fairly simple to begin with, but you might want to consider this just to streamline the process just a bit, a bit further. So now moving on to something a little bit more exciting, and uh, that is liability. So we start with what happens if your condo fails to obtain a clearance certificate before hiring construction companies or independent contractors to perform work. So if your condo fails to obtain a clearance certificate, they open themselves up to significant liability. Under the Workplace Safety and Insurance Act, the WSIB could hold the condo corporation liable for a contractor's unpaid premiums to the WSIB, and these costs could be fairly significant. In rare cases, condo corporations may even be subject to criminal sanctions for not obtaining a clearance certificate. Uh, if convicted of an offense under the Workplace Safety and Insurance Act, a condo corporation may be liable for fines up to $500,000. Aside from criminal sanctions and liability for a worker's unpaid WSIB premiums, condo corporations are also at risk of civil liability if they fail to obtain a clearance certificate. So say a worker is injured while performing construction work and the contractor is not registered with the WSIB or in good standing, the condo corporation could be held liable for the worker's injuries. So very important to obtain those clearance certificates before you hire any contractors. Now, there are two exceptions to this. The two situations where condo corporations will not be held liable for failing to obtain a clearance certificate include where a condo elects one partner or officer from a construction company or contractor to be exempt from coverage as long as that individual does not engage in any construction work, and more commonly, where an occupant of a private residence, so say an owner of a condo unit, directly hires a contractor for home renovation work. So while unit holders who hire contractors to renovate their units will not have to apply for a clearance certificate, a condo corporation that hires a contractor to, to renovate the common elements on behalf of all owners will have to apply for a clearance certificate. As mentioned previously, condos have to obtain clearance certificates for all construction contractors that they directly hire. Now back to my discussion of a condo's potential civil liability in relation to the workers that they hire. So under the Workplace Safety and Insurance Act, an injured worker may not commence an action against a Schedule One employer. Unfortunately, however, condo corporations are not considered Schedule One employers. What this means is that condo corporations are considered third parties and as such are at risk of civil liability. For instance, where a worker suffers an injury in a slip and fall on a condo property, the injured worker may elect to sue the condo corporation rather than claim their WSIB, WSIB benefits. So they have a choice of whether or not to sue the condo as a third party or whether to claim their WSIB benefits. So in other words, the condo corporation may still be sued if even after obtaining a clearance certificate, a worker is injured on condo property and the injury was clearly caused by the condo's negligence. In practice, however, WSIB insured workers will almost always opt to claim their WSIB, benef WSIB benefits instead of suing third parties like condos. This is because it's just much easier to recover under the WSIB as workers just have to show that an injury occurred 
Um, obviously, instead of filing a civil lawsuit against a third party like a condo and having to go through the court process in order to win a civil lawsuit in order to get the recovery. So simply in practice, workers will often just opt for their WSIB benefits, but it's certainly something to consider. So in order to avoid the risk of any civil liability, condo corporations should apply to the WSIB for their own coverage. If the application is accepted, the condo corporation will be registered with the WSIB and begin paying premiums to them. So if a condo corporation registers with the WSIB, injured workers are not able to commence a court claim against them. This might be something that your condo wishes to consider in order to fully shield itself from liability for injured contractors. However, like I mentioned, most workers with WSIB insurance will simply opt to recover um, from the WSIB instead of suing third parties like condo corporations. So it might not be uh, really an ideal financial decision for your condo to get WSIB coverage and pay premiums to them, just because in practice, as I mentioned, um, injured workers will just most frequently take their WSIB benefits instead of suing condos. So to sort of conclude and wrap up everything I've just stated, um, it is certainly very important for condo corporations to obtain a WSIB clearance certificate before they hire construction contractors to do work on condo property. If your condo doesn't obtain a clearance certificate, they could be held liable for a contractor's unpaid WSIB premiums, and in some cases might be subject to severe fines under the Workplace Safety and Insurance Act. Also, as I mentioned, obtaining a clearance certificate does not eliminate all risk of civil liability towards the condo because condo corporations are not Schedule One employers and therefore are at risk of third-party actions by workers. So the only way, as I mentioned, a condo corporation can fully shield itself and protect itself from any civil liability is to apply to the WSIB for its own coverage. However, as I mentioned, you'll have to consider the financial sort of benefits, pros and cons of doing this as most workers will, will simply just opt to obtain their WSIB benefits instead of suing the corporation. That's pretty much it for me, everyone. Thank you so much. And I will send it back to you, Nancy. Fantastic, Mitch. And we've gotten a couple of questions in the chat. So just a quick reminder, we don't have an opportunity to answer questions here today because this is one of our condo crunches. However, we do turn this session into a podcast. So I know Mitch just sent out a bunch of information that may have been uh, a little bit uh, mind blowing, but that's okay. You can take your time in the future podcast, pause, rewind, think about uh, what is being said and make sure that you understand all the ins and outs. And again, at the end of the day, if you're the economy incorporation signing the contract with the contractor, you can think about what obligations the contractor has to ensure that their subs have WSIB coverage in place. That could be a term of your contract as well, uh, removing their option to not carry such coverage. So Mitch, thank you so much for that. That was fantastic. And we're going to move on to our next and final topic today, which is superintendents. Superintendents doing inadvertent volunteerism, Nicole, I guess we might say. Supers want to be helpful. They enjoy their community, but sometimes that helpfulness can get us into a little bit of trouble. So, Nicole, I'm going to turn it over to you to talk about that hot topic. Great. Thank you so much, Nancy. Hello to everybody. We've heard a lot of helpful tips today on risks associated with some great work, volunteer work, and I'm going to continue along the same vein and discuss the inadvertent volunteer or the Good Samaritan superintendent. Sounds great, but as well-meaning as your superintendent may be, volunteering to do work outside of the scope of his or her employment duties can lead to problems, both for the condominium corporation and the super in terms of insurance coverage and dealing with concealed or unknown conditions. 
I'm referring in particular to work performed for owners. And overall, I have three main points that I'll be discussing. Number one, the duties of your superintendent should be clear. Number two, you really want your superintendent to stick to those official duties because of insurance and employment requirements. And number three, not sticking to those official duties can have significant consequences. An example of that is potential exposure to designated substances. So going back to my first point, it's easy to unknowingly walk into these situations with good intentions. A resident asks your super to carry something up to their unit or change that light bulb that's really high up or to help with a small leak that doesn't look like such a big deal. In other words, well-meaning superintendents who are inclined to help may be taking on these kinds of extra tasks or extra duties outside of their working hours or outside of their employment duties without realizing it. So my first point is, make sure that your superintendent's duties, hours of work, and expectations are clear. Ideally, this should be clearly set out in an employment contract. Remember, there is, generally speaking, an employer-employee relationship between the condominium corporation and your superintendent. If any of the key terms of that relationship are not clear, that's something that should be addressed right away. Second, your condominium corporation has liability insurance coverage, which generally uh, includes coverage for liability resulting from acts or omissions of employees. And also they'll have occupational health and safety requirements and obligations to meet. The employment duties of your super should fit within the boundaries of this coverage and the condominium's obligations. In other words, you want the work performed by your super to be in the regular co course of their employment, during contract hours, and in compliance with health and safety policies. If an employee takes on tasks and risks that are outside of their normal employment duties, it's possible that there won't be insurance coverage for any resulting liability. But the corporation might still have liability because a claimant might reasonably assume that the employee is still performing services within their role as an employee. For these reasons, it's often best to simply avoid having employees perform extra tasks for owners. Also, when it comes to potential injury to the employee, it's again important that any tasks be performed within the employee's normal duties. Otherwise, any WSIB coverage or long-term disability coverage, again, might be compromised. So in addition to being clear on your super's duties in an employment contract, for instance, it's a good idea to also be clear on your expectations and why you want your super to stick to those duties that is to avoid risks, to prevent accidents, and to make sure that you have insurance coverage. Of course, on a personal level, we all appreciate someone helping out with extra tasks. But in this scenario, if your super climbs up a ladder for something that was not part of their official duties and then gets injured or injures someone else, their person or their property, it could result in significant cost consequences to the condominium corporation. So the point here is that you really don't want your superintendent taking on those extra duties, carrying up that heavy item for a resident or getting up on that ladder. You want to make sure that your super is working within the confines of your coverage and your policies. The health and safety component leads me to my final point that, again, some of these extra duties can lead to significant consequences, not just in terms of financial exposure, but also potentially uh, with exposure to designated substances. 
This was helpfully brought up recently as an issue by one of the managers that we have the pleasure of working with, and it's something that your condominium needs to be mindful of. Significant concern if your building was built before 1990 is that your building may contain designated substances. This makes it even more important to make sure that your super isn't taking on repair responsibilities that could expose them to those substances. If you have a leak situation, for example, you really should be calling a proper remediation company to respond. If the source is not obvious, again, especially in an older building, you don't want your superintendent helping out by digging in to investigate. If he or she ends up digging into asbestos, again, there could be significant unintended consequences here. Your condominium corporation does not have insurance or certification for this type of work. I'll also add that there are specific requirements under the Occupational Health and Safety Act to bring in experts to check for designated substances in various circumstances. Anytime designated substances are a risk, it's best to take guidance on the requirements from an expert. Among other things, if your building was built before 1990, make sure that you have your designated substance survey and remediation plan as required. So in conclusion, again, the overall part I'm, point I'm trying to make is that your super taking on extra duties can lead to significant unintended consequences. Your super's duties and hours of work should be clear, and it should also be clear that while you appreciate a thoughtful super, it's important that their work complies with insurance and health and safety requirements. That's all for me, Nancy. Thank you. Fantastic, Nicole. And there's a reason we call them supers. They are often the superhero in the condo, but we have to make sure that they're super superheroes for the condo and not necessarily outside uh, for the unit owners and the capacity that maybe many unit owners may wish. I also know, and we all know, it can be really difficult for owners to understand that distinction. Uh, so in some cases, we have had to assist condominium corporations in writing letters to their ownership uh, to explain the role of the superintendent to make sure that they understand they're not entitled or not allowed to change that light bulb or to, to carry up those groceries because people can be a bit off put if the superintendent says no. So if any of you are in a situation where you've had your superintendent doing all these very helpful superhero things over the past 20 or 30 years, and now we're in a situation where we're going to have to change that, don't hesitate to reach out to some somebody who may have been in that situation before and had to write a letter to their owners or to uh, any of us on this call, just to help the ownership understand if you're changing your practice and why you're changing your practice and that it's to protect the interests of everybody involved. So Nicole, that was fantastic. Thank you so much. Well, folks, we had a lot of uh, really great information presented here today. A quick reminder, we do turn these sessions into a podcast. Stay tuned for the next uh, couple of weeks and you'll see that pop out. Our next session in June is our semi-annual Q&A session. So now is gonna be your opportunity to submit questions to our DHA team and we will try and pull the questions that affect as many of our condos as possible and answer those questions in our upcoming June Q&A. So stay tuned, watch for those invitations to submit questions and we look forward to seeing you in June. In the meantime, go out and enjoy that sunshine. It looks like we're going to have a fantastic weekend. Be safe, be well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Conopedia is brought to you by Davidson Hu Allen, a boutique condominium law firm servicing Eastern Ontario. You can find more about our firm on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, or on our website at davidsonconolaw.ca.
This podcast is for information purposes only and is not intended to provide legal opinion or advice, which cannot be given without knowing the facts of a specific situation. Use of this podcast does not establish a solicitor and client relationship. The intro and outro music is provided by Purple Planet. You can find them at purple-planet.com.